Again, I'll be, this is, uh, we'll be reading the, the entirety of uh, Jude's epistle, but I'm just going to be focusing on the final two verses, on, on verses 24 and 25. Jude 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord, of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I want to remind you Although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them. For they followed in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are blemishes on your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, looking after themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was about these, these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all, of the ungodly, ungodly, all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the perfections of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in, the mo in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To, to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. 
Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, as we consider this passage before us, and Lord, as we consider this passage on this particular day, we trust, Lord, that each person who is here has been decreed by your providential hand to be here to hear this message. Lord, for this is your message for our hearts today. Lord, as we look back on this, this past year, we, we have regrets and we, we, have, we have things that, that, that we feel sad about, but also, Lord, we have things that we can rejoice in, things that we triumph in because of your grace in our lives. And Lord, as we look ahead to the coming year and, and even beyond the coming year to, to what lies beyond and especially of our eternal life with you, we pray, Lord, that you would make us cognizant of our eternal destiny. Lord, you have placed eternity in our hearts. Our, our, our human minds cannot comprehend you as the eternal God, yet, you're let, yet, Lord, you are the eternal one and you have called us from eternity past th that we can trust that you will bring us into your eternal presence at the end of all things. And so, Lord, we pray as we consider these things here this morning that you would help us to be confident in who you are. Lord, to be confident of your work in our lives, that, that we can rest assured of your work in your people. And Lord, for those who are here this morning who are, are not yet your people, who are not yet born again, we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would grant new life. For we pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Amen. Well, we're only a few hours away from 2018. And I wonder, are, are you making or have you made any New Year's resolutions? Now, if there's something in your life that, that needs to change, you know, I, don't, I don't think you should wait until the New Year to do it. You, you, need, to, you need to do it immediately when the Lord is, is, is laying hold of your heart on, on something, some area where you need to repent or, or to grow. But that being said, New Year's can be a, a good time to, to make plans for the coming year and, and on into the future. You know, you could say start something like, a, like an annual Bible reading plan tomorrow. It can also be an opportune time for you to, to plan out your family devotions or, or you to, to set out a, a financial plan. But each year around this time, millions of people make New Year's resolutions. Losing weight or quitting smoking or better money management top the list. I know that I would like to, to drop uh, 20 pounds-ish uh, by the end of this year. I'd like to, to go at, to reach the end of 2018 20 pounds lighter than I'm starting it. But very few people actually stick with their New Year's resolutions. In fact, one study showed that only 8% of people who make New Year's resolutions actually keep them. So you can feel free to check in with me at the end of 2018 to see how uh, I'm doing with those 20 pounds. But why is it that so many people fail to, to keep their New Year's resolutions? 
Now, there, there's a number of, of possible answers to this, but I think the single greatest reason why people fail to keep their resolutions is a failure, not just a failure to plan, but a failure to make God's plans their plans and a failure to put their plans in God's hands. It's a failure to rely on God, a failure to trust in God. Instead, people trust in themselves. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about something infinitely more important than New Year's resolutions. Infinitely more important than, than finishing 2018 more physically fit than you started it, or, and even infinitely more important than finishing a Bible reading plan. I'm going to talk to you about finishing your life well, about trusting God's plan for your eternal soul. This morning, I'm going to focus on just two verses, Jude 24 and 25. I'm going to read, to the, read them to you again. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Now, I trust that those words are familiar to you because we, we use them quite often as a benediction at the end of our church services. But technically, this, this passage is not really a, a, a benediction. It's actually a doxology. It's actually a doxology. You know, I chose to, to entitle this sermon uh, a New Year's Benediction because I thought it was fitting as, as we end this year and begin a new one, as we finish and start to be thinking about God's blessing on our lives. And, and so though while technically this is, this is not a, a benediction, it's a doxology, we're going to see how this doxology for the people of God actually becomes a benediction. Now a doxology comes from the Latin words meaning, sorry, a benediction rather, comes from the Latin words meaning well-saying. Well-saying. So a, a benediction is a, is a word of blessing that is pronounced on a congregation. Many New Testament letters end with benedictions. Ephesians 6, 23 and 24. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. These are, are some of the most precious words in the Bible we find in benedictions. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. But again, Jude doesn't end with a benediction. It ends with a doxology. And doxology comes from the Greek words meaning glory saying. It's a statement that gives glory to God. And as, as you look at it, I'm sure you can see how this is a doxology. Other examples of doxologies are, are in, in Philippians 4.20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 7.12. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And so while many New Testament epistles end with a benediction, Jude closes with a doxology. With a doxology. And, 
And again, I trust as we look at this passage this morning, I, I trust that you will see how this doxology is for Christians also a benediction. Now, just a bit of background for you. We, we, we know that this is, this is the epistle of Jude, and it's, it's just one chapter. They're right before the book of, of Revelation. And we, we don't know a lot about, about Jude except for, for what he tells us, that he, was, that he is a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Now, it's, it's why, Jude was widely considered to be one of the brothers of Jesus, well, one of the half-brothers of Jesus, same mother, different father. One of the same half-brothers who, who did not believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. He, the clue here is that he says that he is the, the brother of James. And we know that, that two of Jesus' half-brothers were named Jude and James. Now again, we, we can't know this for sure. But it is, it is very likely that, that this is exactly who wrote this epistle, one of the brothers of Jesus. And the Jew wrote this letter, probably a circular letter to the churches to counter the false teachers who were using Christian liberty and God's grace as license for sin. Verse 4. Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. These individuals were teaching what's known as, as antinomianism. Antinomianism. The, the, these are the people who, who, who do not seek to have God's law as a rule of life. And in so doing, they were denying Christ. And this was common in the early church. The Apostle Paul addressed this quite a, quite a bit as well, especially in Romans. Just for example, Romans 6.1. Are we to continue in sin that grace may, be, may abound by no means? How can, we, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So these false teachers had infiltrated the church and they were seeking to deceive Christians and to entice them to sin. Does that sound familiar to you? This very thing is taking place in our day. In fact, it's been happening to, to a large extent right through the history of the church. False teachers preaching heresy and rebellion against God, and they're doing it in the name of Christ. So in response, Jude provides examples of others who presumed on God's grace, the children of Israel who were delivered from Egypt, but then most of whom died separated from God in the wilderness. Fallen angels, Sodom and Gomorrah, Cain, Balaam, Korah, it's not a pretty picture. These people were self-serving, rebellious, dangerous, hidden reefs. The, the, the Jude here just heaps up metaphors to describe just how dangerous and how wicked these people were. And he warns of their destruction. He says that, that, he, he says that these people were actually deceiving people in the church even while celebrating love feasts, even at the Lord's table, they were deceiving people. They were designated for destruction, verse four. 
Those for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Verse verse 13, headed for eternal judgment. Verse 15, and against such devious enemies, the Lord through his servant Jude was calling the church to persevere. He was calling the church to persevere. But that's not all. He's also calling the church to fight back. Look at that verse that you hear commonly in, in, uh, in verse three. He was appealing to them to contend for the faith, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. They had to contend. They had to fight for the faith. And it describes how they're to do that in verses 22 and 23. To help others who, has been, who had been deceived by these false teachers to have mercy on those who doubt and, and to save others, snatching them even out of the fire. Listen to uh, commentator Michael Green as he explains some of the, the context. He says, it is a dangerous thing to live for Christ in an atmosphere of false teaching and seductive morals. It is a hazardous thing to try to rescue men for the gospel out of such an environment. If you get too near the fire, it will burn you. If you get too near the garment stained by the flesh, it will defile you. But he says, is withdrawal then the answer? No, advance against the forces of evil. Face the dangers involved so long as you are strong in the Lord's might. Such is the thrust and the context of Jude's final verses. So just as the original recipients of this letter were called to persevere and also to fight back, we also, 2,000 years later, are being called to persevere and to fight back. But how? How do you fight back against such dangerous enemies? How do you stand firm in spiritually deceptive times? Well, Jude provides two answers for that question. Keep yourself and be kept by God. Keep yourself and be kept by God. Look at at verse 21 where he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And he lists lists practical things, praying in the spirit and and, and all these things that we're we're waiting and watching for the mercy of Christ. So so there's a sense in in which you have to persevere. You're the one who does it. But also look in in verse 24. It is God who keeps you to him who is able to keep you. So what Jude is doing here is he's presenting the the complementary truths of, of man's responsibility and of God's sovereignty. They're both true. Scripture teaches both. Now, when we think about these things, it's, it, it bends our minds. We don't, it, it's so hard for us to be able to grapple and to understand how, how those things work together. Someone once asked Spurgeon, they said, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? And Spurgeon said, you don't. You don't need to reconcile friends. They work together. They're both true. Scripture teaches both, so we affirm both. But this morning we're going to be focusing on the second half of the truth. Really, what's what's the ground of the truth? We're talking here about about God's sovereignty, that God is the one who is keeping you. 
The same principle is, is true in Philippians uh, 2, 12b and 13, where Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, but that for there is very important because it grounds the statement. The, the fact that you are going to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it is because God is at work in your heart. It's grounded in God's sovereignty, but not at all to take away your responsibility. So you work because God is at work. You work because it is because God is, is working in you. You keep yourself because God is keeping you. So again, this, this is how we, we stand in the midst of such things. We don't, we don't stand in our own strength. If you tried to, to stand in your own strength, like, like Martin Luther said, your striving would be losing. We, we, we don't stand by our, our own wit or our own wisdom or our own willpower. We stand by the will of God. So just two points for this, this sermon this morning. That it is God who protects and presents you in verse 24 and to God be the glory in verse 25. God will bring you into his glory so that he gets the glory. That's what I want to focus on this morning that God will bring you into his glory so that he gets the glory. So verse 24, to, to God who protects and presents you. When you walk out of the doors of this church, there are countless temptations waiting for you. There are temptations for every season and situation of life. Remember what we learned in the, in the model prayer, that we need to pray daily. Lord, lead me not into temptation and deliver me from evil. And pray for our church. Lord, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. We need to pray this constantly. So we need to be aware that there are dangers that are, are lurking out there. But the dangers that Jude has in mind aren't out there. They're in here. The dangers that he's talking about aren't in the world. They're in the church. They're in the church. He's not talking about heresy and immorality in our culture. He's talking about those things in the church. And the same is true in our day. And so when we look at this, we need to look at this both broadly and we also need to look at this narrowly. We need to consider this in the visible church and, and, and the, the, the church, uh, the universal church, but also here in this local church. There's an epidemic of false teaching in the visible church. The vast majority of churches, in the West at least, have drifted from the truth. If you don't believe me, just turn on your TV or your computer and explore what is presenting itself as Christianity. In the vast majority, you will find is unbiblical at best. Heresy spreads at eight megabits per second. But it's not all doom and gloom. I was reminded of something the other day while watching R.C. Sproul's memorial service. 
believe it was John MacArthur was saying that in the 21st century, we're experiencing a reformation. We are seeing the spread of solid biblical doctrine around the world in, in a, a way that's really unprecedented in history. You have to look back to the, to the, 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 the invention of the, the printing press coinciding with the, the Protestant Reformation that, that caused the, the, such a, a reformation that, that really transformed and, and brought the gospel back to the church. But we're really seeing that in our day. All around the world, Men and women are, are discovering or rediscovering the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's not all doom and gloom. But that being said, we, we can't just pat ourselves on the back for our good theology and say it's all good. The church is reformed, yet always reforming. Now, that, that term doesn't mean that we're moving into new teaching, but it's going back to the root, back to sola scriptura, back to the word of God at, as the core. And we need to constantly examine ourselves in light of those things. And we need to pray that the Lord will protect us, will protect this local church from false teaching creeping in. But again, that's, that's more focused on, on what we do. This passage is talking about what, what God does. It's, it, it's, again, Judas just said in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. Trust in the Lord. Wait for his mercy. You don't do nothing. You must watch closely to make sure that you remain close to the Lord. Examine yourself. Practice the means of grace, especially prayer and, and Bible study and Christian fellowship. But again, that's what, that, that, that's what we do. We're talking here about what God does. What God does. Verse 24, to him who is able to keep you. The focus is, is on him, on God. And Judah's not here presenting this as a, as a possibility. He's not saying that, that God is able so that he might keep you. What he's saying here is that God is strong enough. That God will keep you. He will keep you. And, and so with that, what does it mean then that, that God keeps us? Well, he, says not to keep, he says that he will keep us from stumbling. To keep us from, from stumbling. And now, in verse 21, where he says, keep yourselves in the love of, of God, and in, in verse 24, where he, where he says that, that God is able to keep you, they're, they're actually different words that are translated, they're both translated keep, but they really essentially mean the same thing. It's, it's to guard or to protect. And so in this sense, we're looking at, in verse 24, we're looking at the fact that it is God who protects you. Who protects you. Well, what does he protect you from? from stumbling, from stumbling. Now, some take this to mean that, that God will, will keep us from sinning. There are those who teach what's called sinless perfectionism, and, and it seems that that's actually, unfortunately, making a bit, a bit of a resurgence. But that's not what, what he's saying here. There's many other passages that talk about you will not be entirely free from sin 
until the coming day of the Lord. Yes, we are, are dead to sin. The old man is dead. But, but Jude is not saying here that, that we are going to be sinless in this life. This, this word that's, that's translated stumbling means falling and specifically falling away. He's saying that the Lord will keep you from falling away, from becoming apostate, from turning away from the faith. And you can see that there from the context. Because he goes on, he says, to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So he's, he's talking about the, at the end of all things. He's talking about on the day of the Lord. When, when you go before God, God is able to keep you for that day. That God will make sure that you do not lose your salvation. So here, I, I think that the NASB actually does a better job with, with this translation where it says um, to make you stand in the presence of his glory. And that's really the, the sense of it, of it here. It's to be able to stand before God on that day. Now just think for a moment about the glory of God. We're going to talk a bit more about it in a few minutes. But, but God's glory is, is the radiance, the, the emanation of who he is, of his attributes. We can't even really even begin to comprehend how glorious God is. We, we see in God's word testimonies of, of his glory, but, but, but you, you can't with your finite human mind, you can't comprehend how glorious God is and what it will mean to stand before him on that day. A few years ago, I was trying to witness to a young man out here on the street. And uh, he wasn't an atheist. He believed in God. But he told me that 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 God was unjust and that he said that, that on that day when he stands before God, he's going to tell God that he is unjust. Now he's right in one thing. He will stand before God. But he will melt like a candle in a blast furnace before the glory of God if he does not repent of his arrogance and rebellion against God. And apart from God's grace, that's true of all of us. Now we might not have, have said, and I hope we haven't said anything as, as blasphemous and, and, and arrogantly rebellious as, as that, but we have all sinned wickedly. None of us have any hope before the glory of God unless he keep us, unless he protect us. And friends, he's able to do that. He is able. What does it mean here then to, to, be, to, to be blameless? Again, we're not talking about, Judah's not talking about sinless perfection here. He's, he's saying that the Lord will keep you for himself. This picture here of, of without blemish calls to mind the Old Testament sacrifices. They, they were to be pure. They were not to be, um, they were not to, 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 to be um, blind or, or lame, that the sacrifices were to be, to be perfect in a sense because they were as, as those sacrifices were to be a reflection of the perfect Lamb of God, of Jesus Christ. 
In fact, Peter uses the same word in 1 Peter 1.19 to, to describe Christ as a lamb without blemish or spot. And so those who are in Christ are without blemish. But they're without blemish because of the expiation of their sin, because, because Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who has taken away their sins and has granted to them his righteousness. So if you are here as a Christian this morning, you are without blemish because you have received through the gospel the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when you stand before God on that day, He's not going to see you as a shopping list of all your sins. He's going to see his son. And he's going to welcome you into his eternal presence. He's going to welcome you into his glory. He says he's going to welcome you into his glory with great joy. Again, we can't imagine, we can't even really begin to, to imagine or comprehend the glorious promises that we've received in Christ. But we can look to God's word and, and, and that we can look forward to that joy on that day and that's gonna fill you with joy today. No, no matter what circumstances you're facing in this life, because of, of that joy, because of your, your hope in that God who's, who's going to keep you, you can have joy today. Again, there's, there's a really sharp difference here, but people mix up joy and happiness. Joy and happiness. You know, there's a, um, there was a TV show back in the 90s called Ren and Stimpy, and I don't really recommend it, but there was, they had this happy, happy, joy, joy machine. You probably, I hope you've never seen it, but anyway, it, it's, it's just a, a foolish dancing. That's, that's, that's like the world has this, this crazy happiness in the middle of, of, of what's going on. If you're happy as you, and you know it, clap your hands in, in the middle of, of adversity. When we're talking about joy, when the Bible talks about joy, it's talking about something far deeper and far more transcendent than anything that is dependent on external circumstances it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit as you look beyond what's what's happening in your life and and you look at, at the, the temporal things and you look at what Christ has done for you and what Christ will do for you it's joy it's joy and I, I've seen that in many people here in the midst of profound trials It doesn't make human sense to be joyful with, with some of the things that people in this church have faced or are facing. But we look at it from God's perspective and because God is keeping us and because of our hope, he is going to fill us with his joy. When we talk about, about God keeping us, this, this doctrine is commonly called the, the perseverance of, of the saints. And that, and that is true. We do need to persevere. Jude does talk about that here, but I think a better term for what Jude is talking about here is, is the preservation of the saints because it is God who ultimately is the one who preserves you. 
So your faith is not based on your faithfulness, but on his faithfulness. You will be faithful because he is faithful. You see that all over the place in the scriptures. Uh, John 10, 28 and 29 I give them eternal life and and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Thirty-eight and thirty-nine. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So fellow Christians, God will protect you and God will present you to himself. And you will not be cowering in a corner. You will stand before him with great joy. May your mind be consumed with thoughts of that day. As Jude considers these things, he gives way to praising God in verse 25. To God be the glory. Begins to the only God. This echoes here that the Shema, the Lord our God, the Lord is one from Deuteronomy 6.4. He's the only God. Yet he is in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This, this again, is a, is a profound truth that, that we can't comprehend. And, and people, as I talked about last week, people, as soon as they, they really try to explain the Trinity, they, they almost invariably end up in heresy. We just have to acknowledge that, that the Scriptures teach that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and yet he is one. I can't understand that, and I'm okay with that. But God is one, and he is our Savior. And again and again and again in the scriptures, we, we hear of, of God as a Savior. Isaiah 45, 21, and there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Or Luke 1, and Mary's Magnificat, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And so it's true that, that God is, is a savior in, in every sense of the word. But here I believe specifically, Judah's thinking about, about the, the, the saving of, of, being, of being saved for eternal life. Of being protected not just from, from false teachers and, and tempters, but being protected from everything so that will be brought before God as his blameless children. And so Jude continues, this salvation comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And and again, we see this again and again in Scripture, that that Jesus Christ is is Savior. Even his name, Jesus, means Savior. Titus 3, 4-6, when the goodness and loving kindness of of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So again, you see, even though he's talking specifically about God, the Son as a Savior, you see the whole of the Trinity involved in this process. Acts 4.12, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
So we're four, uh, 10 to 12. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The name is Jesus Christ. There is no other name, not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Krishna. There is no other name by which we may be saved. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But if you have come to the Father through Jesus Christ, through the the Lamb of God, through the shepherd, through the sheep door, through the only door, then you have legitimately already come to the Father. You're already with the Father through Christ. And so yes, there's a sense here which is, it's future, he's talking about, about what will happen on that day, but it's today as well. It's today as well. And so Jude finishes here by exalting four attributes of God, his glory, his majesty, his dominion, and his authority. And this is a statement of fact. This is not a prayer. He's telling it like it is. These things simply are. Now I hope you remember from our, our series in the model prayer that we, we do pray for God's name to be hallowed. We, we do pray for his kingdom to come. We do pray that his will will be done. But, but Jude's emphasis again is different here. These things are already true of God. First, glory. Referring here to the the honor and the magnificence and and the the beauty ascribed to God and specifically here for his work in salvation. Simon Kistemacher says, ascribing glory to God, however, is merely acknowledging an essential aspect of his being. For in essence, God is glory. Glory. On earth, Christ's followers reflect the glory of God in word and deed, but when they enter into heaven, believers are glorified and share in God's glory. Soli Deo Gloria. For the glory of God alone. When Jude here talks about majesties, he's talking about, about his, God's kingly majesty, his, his greatness. He is worthy of being honored as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And his dominion and authority, these these two words are are similar in meaning and they both refer to to God as being sovereign, that God is in control of all things. And look how he finishes here. These attributes belong to God before all time and now and forever, past, present, and future. They're all God's. So again, this is a statement of fact. This isn't, this isn't a prayer. You can't pray retroactively. You can't pray for things that, that already are, even though, yes, we do pray for those things. We are commanded to glorify God and to ascribe majesty and to his name and to, to submit to his dominion and authority. But, but here we're simply with Jude glorying in God's glory, celebrating who he is, celebrating all that he's done for us in Christ. And then Jude's final word is amen. 
Now, we, we, we traditionally say amen at the, at the end of our prayers, but, but what does that word amen mean? It, it, it comes from the Hebrew word meaning truly or so be it. So can you say truly or so be it to these things? Can you say amen to this, to this glory saying, this doxology? And if so, if, if these things are yours in Christ, then this doxology becomes a benediction. This glory saying becomes a well word for you. And friends, if you are in Christ, you will remain faithful because God is faithful. He will enable you to stand blameless and joyful on that day. God will help you and not merely just with a New Year's resolution. He will keep you faithful to the end. Let's pray together.